Have a seat. Have a seat. We're in our final week of Exodus. Uh, this has been a 30-week uh, series. If you are new to the Vine, this is your first week with us. You come right at the end. Well done. You're here. Uh, we're glad you're here. Uh, the majority of us, I'm sure, we've been journeying, uh, whether you've been here for the whole 30 weeks or maybe you've been here for some of the weeks of this series, uh, but we've been journeying together on what it is for a God to look down on a people who are scattered and enslaved and oppressed and have compassion for them and want them to go out of a place of slavery into a place of freedom, not, as I've said, just for freedom's sake, but freedom to be able to then be planted in the land of God's promises and His blessings. And as we come to the end of our series today, we come to this moment where Israel steps into, prepares themselves to step into the promises and the blessings that God has. And and I've just so enjoyed this journey with you. Uh, But before we... um, get into what I want to share with you in this final week. Um, I want to pause just for a moment to, to honor and recognize uh, some incredible people that have worked so hard to pull off a series like this. Uh, this is the third film series uh, that we've done uh, here at The Vine, and this one was by far the most complex, the most crazy, uh, the most delayed, uh, one of the series that we thought at one point would never even happen. Uh, we, uh, it's taken us about five years from conception to completion of the series. Uh, we shot uh, this series in two Middle Eastern countries uh, over the process of about 40 production days uh, over a one-year period during a global pandemic. It was crazy. And you can imagine that although I'm perhaps the one that you see regularly up here communicating this series, um, the series has really only been possible because of the dedication of so many men and women uh, that you haven't seen regularly, but have been working so hard behind the scenes uh, to make this happen. So I want to honor just some of them here today. Uh, This is just a a kind of a collage of a bunch of our production team and our filmmakers uh, that journeyed with us to Egypt and to Jordan. Um, This uh, person right here, in the middle of this photo is Riley Sue. Uh, Riley was the producer on uh, this series. She's actually been the producer that's worked with me over the last three film series that we've done. Uh, Riley is an incredible person, and you can imagine what it would have been like over a five-year period uh, to do uh, something like this where you have to get visas and permits, and you have to hire production companies and get permits and security clearances to film in some of the most hostile places in the Middle East, and be able to do that uh, over a global pandemic with all the delays, all the frustrations. Riley is incredible. Can we honor Riley just with, uh, she lives in, um, she lives here in Hong Kong, but right now she's visiting her husband who's based in California. So uh, thank you, Riley, for all your incredible hard work. Uh, this guy right here is Toby Thomas. Uh, he was the director of the whole series, the film director. Uh, Toby, a uh, good friend of mine, he's actually also, as well as a filmmaker, he's an Anglican priest uh, based in London. Uh, so five years ago in 2018, I, I called him up and I said, hey, I've got this crazy idea to do this crazy series. He was in it from day one. And we spent the first three months just on Zoom together Uh, reading the book of Exodus together and plotting and scheming and dreaming and praying. Uh, A lot of the content that we've delivered in this series has come out of those times. Uh, His creativity throughout this whole series has been fantastic. Uh, This guy here is Oliver James. Oliver was our director of photography on the shoot in both Jordan and in Egypt. Uh, Oliver was the guy that was behind the camera when I was in front of it uh, doing whatever I needed to do. Uh, He was an incredible person. Uh, Right here uh, at the back is uh, actually Anthony Gibbs. Uh, 
Anthony was the second camera operator, the director of photography for our B-roll. Uh, B-roll is basically like all the rocks and beautiful vistas and pyramids and all the stuff that I'm not in, all the beautiful shots. Uh, those were the shots that Anthony did. All the shots that I were in were the shots uh, that I did uh, with, Jan uh, with um, Oliver and all the other shots were, were Anthony. So if you loved any of the vistas or those close slow-mo shots of ancient rocks, that was that man right there at the back. Uh, but he was also the editor of the whole series. He edited, there was in total about 35 films in total across this series. He edited every single one of them. I spoke to him this week. He said, I am so sick of hearing your voice. And I understand, I understand that. Uh, this guy down here, uh, this is Devon. Uh, Devon uh, uh, was uh, on our shoot in Egypt. Uh, he was supposed to be on our shoot in Egypt for the whole time, uh, but his wife was uh, pregnant and she was uh, gonna give birth about seven weeks after we were finished the filming. So we figured, and Devon figured, that everything would be fine. Uh, about six days into the shoot in Egypt, his, water, his wife's waters broke um, and he had to jump on a plane and emergency fly back and they delivered a very healthy child, which is fantastic. Uh, but he was with us for about six days. Um, so, so as he was stepping off, uh, we were like, we need someone to step in. And Riley was also supposed to come with us on the shoot, but she fell pregnant in all the delays that happened. Uh, and so we invited this incredible guy right here. Uh, this is Benjamin Chase on our production staff here at The Vine. And... Um, he stepped in and literally at the last minute learned how to do all the sound stuff that we needed uh, on the ground. Uh, and he's standing right here uh, looking at me. Can we give him a, uh, a lot of love? Yes. I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, and, uh, and as well as everybody who was involved in all the filming side of the project, uh, there was an incredible team behind the scenes here at The Vine who was working on taking, once the films were produced and made, uh, turning those films into the reality of what you've seen. And so I really want to honor Promise Armstrong and his whole creative team and all the work that they've done over this time. Uh, every single person in his team has put a lot of hours uh, into this series. I particularly want to highlight uh, Bellana Soriano. Uh, she's the lady that's done all of the graphic graphic design work for this series, uh, whether that's the posters that you've seen uh, throughout the series, uh, whether it's the logo that was designed, the devotional books uh, that you got, all of that was designed and made by Belana. Uh, so I really want to honor her. Uh, Onshun was somebody in our team who did all the translation work. Uh, Zoe Chan did the translation itself. She did a phenomenal job. And then Onshun took that translation and put it into the films so that we have English and Chinese there for every film. Uh, that was amazing. And then finally, I really want to honor uh, Chris Webster, one of our congregation members, who spoke, spent about a year and a half uh, writing all those devotions that you've been reading, and those devotions have been phenomenal. So for all of those people, can we put our hands together uh, and just honor them? And... Um, one, one of the things that, um, you know, as, as the leaders here and pastors here, often we, we get some of the feedback around the series and what God has done, uh, but so often we don't hear of all the spiritual work uh, that happens through a series like Exodus. And I know that so much has happened spiritually in your individual lives over this series. And so what I thought, uh, different from what we've done in other series, I would love to actually hear from you about what God might have done in your life over this series. Uh, and then I'm going to collate together a lot of that, and then we'll be able to 
feed back some of that to us as a church at a later date. Um, so if God has spoken to you in this series, if there's been a significant breakthrough for you or something spiritually that God has done, I want to invite you to email me uh, this week. Uh, this is my email. Uh, you could just shoot me an email and say, hey, here's what God has done in my life. Um, I, I just want to you know, testify really about what God has done through this series. And then we'll bring some of that testimony. You know, Ephesians speaks about that actually the church is built up uh, when the glory of Christ is made known within the church. And I think this will be one of the ways that we can make known the glory of what God has done amongst us over these 30 weeks. Does that sound all right? All right. Well, enough of all of that. We'll put that now to one side. And here, as we enter into our final week of Exodus, we actually enter into a concluding moment in the story that sets up everything that is about to happen next. Because the reality is, at the end of the Exodus, although it's the end of the Exodus narrative, it's actually the beginning of a whole new story. It's the beginning of Israel moving into the promised land and establishing for themselves a nation within that land and establishing eventually the city of Jerusalem, eventually the temple that's built there. There are so many years of flourishing and growth in the promises and the blessings that are ahead. But as we come to the ending point of this, series, we have to now prepare ourselves for the beginning point of something new. That was the call on Israel. Right at the end of this story, the call that God brings them is, are you prepared? Are you ready now to step into the land of blessings? They came to a decision point. And it might sound funny that there's this decision point about whether they're going to enter the promised land or not, because surely they're going to want to enter the promised land. I mean, this has been uh, something that's been like a carrot on the end of a stick for them for over 40-something years by this point. And they've longed to be in that place. So you would think that this isn't much of a decision. But God knew that there was one more thing that they needed to transition within themselves to enable them to now walk into the land of blessing. Because remember, up until this point in in their kind of existence as a nation, all they've known for so many years is slavery then God's liberation, but then a journey without a home. They've been homeless in the wilderness. But now they're about to move into a new season where they have a home and they need to flourish and grow and put roots down and take their place in the land of promise. And God understood that for that transition to happen, another transition needed to take place. And it's the same also for you. If you've been a part of this journey at all through our Exodus time, you're now also now at a transition moment. Will you step into all of the blessings and promises that God has for you? Or will you decide to remain at the distance, perhaps free from some of that slavery in the past, but not yet walking in to the promises that God really has for you? This challenge is really a challenge Not just for the end of this series, but one we've seen almost every step of the series on its way. The challenge is essentially this. Will we move forward in the new despite its uncertainties? Or will we remain in the old despite its deficiencies? That's the challenge that Moses finds himself at as we come to the conclusion of the story. And the fascinating thing is, Moses doesn't actually have to answer this question for himself because Moses is told by God that he will not enter the land of promise and blessing. 
In fact, Moses learns as they get ready to transition in that he is not going to be the one that would lead his people into that place of great blessing and purpose. And I wonder if you could imagine how that must have felt for Moses. And Moses realizing that he's going to have to hand over his whole leadership of Israel, having worked so hard to get Israel to this point, he now needs to hand over the leadership of Israel to one of his mentees of the next generation, a man called Joshua. And this whole process of him being willing and prepared and able to hand over is really what the book of Deuteronomy is all about. If you were here a couple of weeks ago, you'll, you'll remember that I, say, I said then that the Exodus story doesn't finish in the book of Exodus. When the book of Exodus comes to an end, there's two other books that carry on the story, the book of Numbers and the book of Deuteronomy. Numbers picks up from where the book of Exodus leaves off. As Israel is departing Mount Sinai, it's picked up in Numbers and they come to Kadesh Barnea. And it's where in Numbers that they send out the spies into the promised land. The spies come back with the report they have. Fear fills the nation of Israel and they decide not to move forward. And because of that, God says, you're going to have to wander now for 40 years in the wilderness. Uh, one year for every uh, kind of uh, day that they were in the promised land, spying it out because they didn't have the faith to move forward into the promise. That's the book of Numbers. The book of Deuteronomy picks up right where Numbers finishes off. The 40 years of the wandering in the wilderness is now complete. And now Israel is about to move forward towards their first steps in the promised land. Let me read this to you right at the start of Deuteronomy chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. These are the words that Moses spoke to all of Israel in the desert east of the Jordan. That is, in the Arabah, opposite Suf, between Paran and Tophel, Laban, Harasoth, and Dishbab. It takes 11 days to go from Horeb to Kadesh Barnea by the Mount Seir Road. In the 40th year, on the first day of the 11th month, Moses proclaimed to the Israelites all that the Lord had commanded him concerning them. Right here in this moment, Israel is moving. They're moving from Kadesh Barnea now up to a new place where Moses is going to draw them together and speak some final commands to them before they enter into the promised land. And so let me just remind you of the geography of this moment one last time with us. Uh, last time that we did the series, uh, two weeks ago, we looked at Kadesh Barnea and the wilderness. This is where they wandered for 40 years. But now they come on this 11-day journey and they come all the way up here to roughly what is this area here, which is uh, the area of the modern city of Amman in Jordan today. But in those days, it was known as Moab. Uh, Arabah was all up in this area. And this is a mountain called Mount Nebo. That mountain is still there today. It's still called Mount Nebo. You can go to Amman in Jordan and you can visit that mountain. It is this mountain that Moses comes to with Israel and they stay at that mountain. And God calls Moses to go up that mountain so he can see for the very first time the promised land for himself. Which you can imagine was an exciting moment for Moses. But as he's looking out, he understands that he's not the person that's going to carry Israel into that land. In fact, I want to read this to you. I want to read this to you from Deuteronomy chapter 34, starting in verse 1. It says this, Then Moses climbed Mount Nebo from the plains of Moab to the top of Pisgah, across from Jericho. 
There the Lord showed him the whole land from Gilead to Dan, all of Naphtali and the territory of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the Western Sea, the Negev and the whole region from the Valley of Jericho, the city of, of Palms as far as Zor. Then the Lord said to him, this is the land that I promised on oath to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob when I said, I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you will not cross over into it. And Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in Moab, as the Lord had said. He buried him in Moab in the valley opposite Beth Peor, but to this day no one knows exactly where the grave is. Moses was 120 years old when he died, yet his eyes were not weak, nor his strength gone. Hands up if you'd like that to happen to you. Come on, come on. The Israelites grieved for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days until the time of weeping and mourning was over. Now Joshua, son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him. So the Israelites listened to him and did what the Lord had commanded Moses. Here's that moment. They're on top of Mount Nebo. Moses is looking out on the promised land and God begins to speak to him and shows him all the land and he begins to see that it's this land flowing with milk and honey and God says, you can see it, but you can't go in it. And Moses understands that he's now called to do one final act. He's gonna have to transition his leadership from himself to Joshua. I wonder if you could imagine the humility that was needed having for over 40 years led his people to the very prize that God had always said that they would have and yet he can't grasp the prize. Transition in any kind of leadership is perhaps one of the hardest things we as humans have to do. And some of you in this room are in great places of leadership Every single one of us in this room is a leader. We are people that have people around us, that we have an authority over, that we have a sphere of influence within. How is it possible for us to transition leadership? This is the significant thing that God wants Israel to wrestle with as they step into the promised land. It's the significant thing I want us to wrestle with as we step out of this series into all that God has for us in the future. To help us with that, for the very last time, I want to take you to the land of Exodus. The journey for Israel from their slavery in the land of Egypt, their escape across the Red Sea, their journey into the Sinai wilderness and up and down Mount Sinai, onto the desert of Kadesh Barnea and the 40 years of wandering, all of it has led to them now beginning the final leg of their journey, as they now travel east and then north up the Jordan Valley and camp in the plains of Moab, just a stone's throw away from the Jordan River and their eventual crossing point into the Promised Land itself. So Moab is surrounded by a series of elevator ridges known as Abrim the tallest of which is Mount Nebo, rising some 2,300 feet above sea level. This is the mountain that God calls Moses to ascend right in that final chapter of Deuteronomy. So from its summit, he can survey the promised land. And I'm sensing that God might be calling me to ascend that mountain as well today.
So it would have been right here in roughly about 1400 BC that Moses would have stood and for the very first time looked out on the land of Canaan. I mean, this had been a 40-year journey to get to this point, and finally they're standing here. And you can imagine for Moses what it would have felt like. God had always promised to him that he would be able to see the promised land. And now in this moment, he's able to gaze out at the coming of a promise. Having just been in Egypt myself and having just retraced the journey that the Israelites went on, I can imagine just how incredibly excited uh, Moses would have been standing in this place. I mean, they've just seen incredible miracles take place to get them here. But they've also had to wrestle with the difficulties and the hardships of their identity and their sin. And so getting here, seeing the promise, there would have been a sense of praise and worship for Moses. But I think there was also another emotion at play. And we get a little hint of it from Deuteronomy 34.4. For there, God reminds Moses that although he can see the promised land, he'll never be able to actually enter it. We know actually back in Deuteronomy chapter 3 why this is the case. Moses had actually disobeyed God in that moment of the rock and the water, and he had actually not listened to the way in which God had asked him to do that miracle. And even worse than that, later on, Moses actually claims credit for the miracle himself. And because of all of this, God's anger burns against Moses, burns against his unfaithfulness and the way in which his leadership has now pulled down what God was wanting to do with his people. And because of that, Moses would end up dying on this mountain. And instead, it would be Joshua that would lead his people into the promised land. So this mountain represents for Moses both exuberant joy and sober reflection. I mean, he's right here at the end of his life. And I think he would have sat on the mountain and reflected back on all that has happened for him. I mean, he's seen God face to face, seen some of the most incredible miracles that we have recorded for us in the scriptures. And and he's even had the word of God in such profound ways that it's shaped all of history ever since. But Moses along the way has also encountered the frailty of the human heart. He's seen the power of sin and what that can do to people, both the Israelites themselves and also himself personally. And I think all of that would have been in his heart and mind as he sat here on this mountain on that day. And he knew that there was one final act that he had to do, and that was to pass leadership from himself to Joshua, the one who would take the Israelites into the Promised Land. And to help us to think a little bit more about what that transition would have been like, I want to take you to another mountain. It's actually a mountain that means a lot to me. It's in my city of Hong Kong. And I want to introduce you to one of my spiritual fathers and talk to you a little bit more about the profundity and power of transition in leadership. Tony, what a privilege it is to stand here on this mountain to look out over our city of Hong Kong that we love so deeply. And uh, I think both of us have lived here. I've probably lived here over 30, maybe over 40 or so years for you now in this city. And and yeah, and to talk about transition, leadership transition. And, you know, I'm so blessed that yourself and John Snellgrove, the former senior pastors at the Vine Church, handed the church over to me at a relatively young age. Uh, At a time when you guys were at the height of your ministry, you handed the church over, you transitioned. And I don't think a lot of churches do that. So I wanted to just ask, like, 
Why did you guys believe so much in leadership transition? Yeah, I think to understand that, you have to understand a little bit of about church and what its constitution was. And yeah. we had a lot of young people in the church, and it wasn't just that they were attached as part of the church. They were the powerhouse of the church. They were the energy. They were the passion mm. that tended to uh, provide the energy for who we were as a church and almost give us that... Um, next generation mm. idea of where we felt the church was going to go and yeah. clearly you know god speaks about taking the church through generations and his promises from from one generation to another right and so it was clear to us that you know neither john and i were really next generation people <laughs> uh here we were somewhat late in our on our age having the uh, incredible privilege mm. of running a church and yet seeing that God's vision and God's projection mm -hmm. was so much further than maybe where we could take it. Right, right. And so this idea of wanting to transition to a leader who was part of that generation mm -hmm. was born in our minds. It's a big thing to let go, you know, and I think one of the things I really honor and admire in you and John is just your ability to have done that, to be able to let go of something that you had birthed. Uh, I mean, if you think of the church like a child, you'd birth the child, you'd raise the child, the child had, the child had grown up, and now you were sort of handing that ch child on. That's a lot of letting go. And I, and I think of Moses, you know, as, as he's standing there on Mount Nebo, right? Yep. And he's thinking right. about looking out on the promised land that yep. he's never going to enter. He's having to let go of his own dream yep. of walking into that promised land. What was that letting go like for you? In some ways, that letting go was... Um... It wasn't particularly painful, uh, but in that process of letting go, um, there's a little bit, you know, whatever we talk and, and say about leadership, mm. there's a little bit of our identity in leadership. Right. And so you begin to lose that sense of, yeah, I'm the pastor of the church. Um, and you have to then start looking for other ways to serve the church, other ways to be involved. Mm. Because unlike many processes, of course, we did not disappear off the scene. We were still around. Yeah. And so yeah. there was that. You didn't die on Mount Nebo I like did Moses. Not die. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> uh, not my time yet. Yeah. That allowed us, I think, to be able to be present mm. um, in a way which did not interfere in terms of your decisions and the way that you were going. Right. Um, but allowed us to let go and find other ways of providing input and involvement in the church. Mm -hmm. So there was, in a sense, it was not a sharp cutoff, right. but it was a, a gradual way of finding other ways in which we could be involved. And I think, you know, all due respect, encouraged to you to be able to take on a church while the two for, former senior pastors are still hanging They're around. still around, yeah, exactly. I think about, again, Moses on the top of Mount Nebo, right? He's looking out on the promised land. He's, he's going through all this stuff in his head around the mistakes he had made. Uh, and actually, part of the reason why he wasn't entering into the promised land was the Lord's punishment to those mistakes that he had made. Um, wh what mistakes do you feel like when you look back on the process that you didn't quite get right? And, and how, does that, how does that make you feel now? Um, I think we probably assume too much. Um, and when I look back on the process, there was a sense in which probably at your young age, you know, you could argue maybe we dropped you in it too soon. Um, but there was a sense. And so I think, you know, that there has been that sort of struggle of leadership 
and things that you've had to dealt with that maybe we could have thought about a little more carefully. Yeah. But for us, I think we had to be reminded of the fact that we needed to let go. Right. And for me, I believe that was the best decision that we ever made in terms of our leadership in the church. And I think it's been the most fruitful decision that's been made in the church. So, so one, thing, one thing I wanted to ask you was also about the process of transition. Because, I mean, there's the decision, which we've touched on already, and how God was involved in that decision. But then there's the process. There's in the actual, like, walking out in obedience, the thing that God's called you. Um, what was the process like for, for John and yourself? Well, I think, um, you know, you have to understand that transition is, everyone thinks about it just as change. But transition is both change and continuity. And so if you want to look at it in sort of broad terms, you could say that Moses' job was to get Israel up to the River Jordan. And that Joshua's job was to take them through that and into the Promised Land. And so there is that continuity is the people. It's the church. And this is, I think, the reflection of God's heart is for his people. And the fact as leaders, it's in a sense, it's not about us. It's about the people of God. And it's about that continuity. And of course, you see that, you know, going right through scripture. Yeah. Um, so that, that, that gives you um, not just an abrupt change, but a certain process that leads you through. And each part needs to understand what their part in the leadership process is. Yeah. And that's not always easy. No, not at all. Final question really would be around just your reflections on Moses, you know, that, that moment of him on the, on the top of Mount Nebo. You know, what, given that you've been through the process yourself, obviously in a very different way, but, you know, you've had to hand on something that you've nurtured and cared for for so long. What do you think Moses was feeling when he kind of, I mean, we're looking out on Hong Kong, which is our, our passion, but he was looking out on the promised land, his passion. Yeah. What were some of the things that you think he was processing in those last moments of his life? You know, you could say... He might be processing the what ifs, I shouldn't haves. Right. But I think that in that process, I, uh, you, you know, it says that God took him and, you know, uh, there was that sense in which he must have sensed I've achieved what I was asked to do. Yeah. And I need to be satisfied with that. Yeah. Not just satisfied with it. I, I have to take joy in that fact. And I have the sense that he would walk away from that, you know, at his 120 years old and wherever it was that, you know, God buried him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, with a sense of, yeah, that was good. Yeah. I've done that. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Yeah, exactly. Well, I, as the Joshua in our context, I can say that to you. I've said that to you many times, but it's an honor to say that to you again. Just like the incredible job you did in nurturing me, nurturing our church, handing it over, doing so, so open-handedly, despite some of the fears and the challenges of that. Um, you did an incredible job, and it gives me such a beautiful model for, for my future as, as I think about doing that in my context. So thanks, Tony, so much. It's my pleasure, and uh, thank you for doing what you're doing. You know, I know the, the burdens of some of that. <laughs> you know the so, burdens of a lot of it. Yes. You face those burdens. So uh, thank yeah. you yeah, for yeah, what you're doing. Yeah. Appreciate it. It's, um, 
It's hard to describe to you what it's been like to have two people like John and Tony in my life who have uh, been able to nurture not just the vine but myself as well to uh, a place of being able to walk into what God has for it and uh, the way that they did that so open-handedly, uh, so honestly and with so much humility uh, I think is truly profound and we as a church are very blessed to have former senior pastors uh, like the two of them that have done that in such a beautiful way in our midst. And I think what you see in Tony there, I think a lot of that is in Moses as he's standing there on Mount Nebo. Moses understands that God had called him for a time and a season. I love one of the things that Tony says in the film. He says, we realized we could see the trajectory, the projection of where God wanted to take the vine, but we knew that we weren't the ones that could get the church there and we needed to let it go. And I think Moses on Mount Nebo, he's, he's experiencing that same kind of thing. I think he understood that he was God's appointed person to lead Israel out of their slavery, out of that oppression, bring them into the wilderness, meet with God at Mount Sinai, receive the law, and bring them to, the, to literally just steps away from the promised land. But he also knows he's not God's person. He's not God's anointed person to lead Israel now into the flourishing that's ahead. Because Moses understood that the whole journey of Exodus was really not just about getting uh, Israel out of a place of slavery and oppression. It was actually also about getting them in now into a place of blessing and promise and abundance. It was those two things. And Moses had the great joy of seeing them come through that first stage. And now Joshua is going to have the great joy of taking them on. And I wonder if you could imagine the humility that needs to sit in Tony and John's heart to hand over a church when they were still relatively young and had a lot of energy in them. And how that humility must have been on Moses as he now understands that in order for the people of God to get the greatest of what it is that God has for them in the future, he has to let go. And it is this act of letting go that I want to finish our time on today speaking to you about. Because in the very same way that Israel were called and destined to step into the promised land, but they had to have this letting go of one leadership and the taking up of another leadership, so it is also true for us that as we move from one place to the next, as we think about what it is for us to move into a land where we can flourish and grow and the promises of God can be with us, we also have to recognize that there needs to be, if you will, a leadership transition that happens within us. A transition that happens within us when we think about the person that we have been in the past and the person that we now are today. And to realize that the person that we were before that did all of those things that got us to where we are today is perhaps not the person that's going to be able to sustain us in the future that we have. We need to transition all the time within ourselves towards the person that God is calling us to be today. Are you with me on this? It's almost as if, if you will, we need to let our inner Moses die so our inner Joshua can arise. Because there's a season of blessing. I know this in my spirit. Honestly, I, I, it's hard for me to communicate this. I know this in my spirit, that 2024 is going to be a year of incredible blessing for the vine. If you think about it, this whole year has been about our journey of Exodus. And today, we're about to step towards 2024. I believe as we step into 2024, it's going to be like our promised land. 
but we have a transition we need to make in order to get in there. We need to allow ourselves to realize that the last thing we want in the promised land is to be led by the person who brought us there, but is not the person that can enable us to flourish there. See, it's interesting. There is nothing more counterproductive in the Christian life than living in the land of God's blessings and promise while still being led by the season of slavery in the past. There is nothing more counterproductive in the Christian life than that. To be where God has called us to be and yet our mindset and our thinking and who we are still being rooted in the season and the past. And so God brings Moses up, up to Mount Nebo. He shows him the promised land and he says, it's not you that's gonna lead these people forward. It's gotta be Joshua. You need to hand over, let go, transition to the person who can truly help to get you there. And it's the same for us as we come out of our Exodus series and we want to walk into the promise of this incredible city that God has and all the things God wants to do in us, we have to go. There is a person inside of me that helped me to get where I am today, but that person's not the one who can sustain me and flourish me in the season ahead. I also need to transition my soul, if you will, towards the one who can truly set me free. This is the thing, and we have to be really careful with this. You don't want Moses to lead you where only Joshua can take you. You don't want Moses to lead you where only Joshua has been anointed to take you. This is why Paul, when he writes to the church, he says, if anybody is in Christ Jesus, you have to understand one fundamental thing. If you are in Christ Jesus, you are what? A new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. The person you were before is not the one who should be making decisions now that you're new. The person that you were before and the story that you had before, that story of pain and sin and that story of liberation and what God has done, that's a great story. It's been a part of who you are, but that is not the story that should be now telling you how to think, how to act whilst you're in the land of promise. You need to let Moses go and you need to take up Joshua. And it shouldn't surprise us that Joshua, the very name, is a derivative of Jesus. That Jesus and Joshua essentially is the same name. Because Jesus becomes our great Joshua. The one who leads us into the promised land of eternal life with him. A promised land of his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness. A promised land where the blessings flow upon us from generation to generation as we sung about before. It is Jesus that we have to, on a daily basis, transition ourselves to. I don't want my inner Moses to lead me where only my inner Joshua can take me. I don't want that previous story to be the primary thing that makes me think now, here, I want the mind of Christ. I want Jesus, who is the only one who knows what the land of blessing is truly like. I want him to lead me into all that he has for me. But it's so easy for us to hold on to who we were before, and even to think that even in the blessings, it really is me, the broken thing before, rather than I am a son or a daughter or a child of God. I am one that God is forming and shaping. I am more than a conquering Christ Jesus, that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead now sits in me. I have a story to take. I will take my place. Come on, church. 
I will now walk into the land of blessings and promises, not with the mindset of everything that's happened before, but with a mindset that has been renewed by Christ Jesus, which is why Paul writes to the church and says, if you want to live a life as a living sacrifice, renew your mind. Because it's now our Joshua, Jesus, that leads us forward. Now, here's why this is all really important. This is all really important because everything that Jesus is doing inside of you internally throughout this whole series has really actually not just been about you. It's actually been about us. See, what we've seen throughout the whole of the Exodus journey is not just God's work on individual people to change and transform them. Obviously, the most notable of that Moses, but also Aaron and Hur and Jethro. Pharaoh himself goes through a transformation. Pharaoh's daughter. Uh, there's Moses' mother. There's the midwives that we saw right at the beginning of the series. God has come and worked on individuals every single step of the way. But with that, there's been a bigger story unfolding. And that's been the story of God forming out of individuals that are being transformed by him into a worshiping community together. That... The point of Exodus for God is not just that individuals would experience freedom, but that they would be created a worshiping community within which they can be together far more powerful than they would ever be on their own. Everything that we've seen at Mount Sinai with the law, everything that we see on Mount Nebo as Moses hands over leadership to Joshua, and as Joshua takes a nation a powerful nation that is now going to represent the purposes and promise of God in the world. It's about their individual stories of redemption and liberation now intertwined together to create an even greater story of the church. That's what the church is all about. We are a combined, beautiful story of the grace of God. And together we are always much more powerful than we would ever be on our own. Yes, God has changed and transformed us personally but he's drawn us together so that our stories of liberation are intertwined with one another to create a much more powerful voice in the world than we could ever, ever imagine. Jesus calls it the kingdom of God. Back on April 16th, the very first week of the Exodus series, we did something symbolically together. I, I wonder if some of you were here on that particular Sunday. We had a basket here uh, in the front of the auditorium. And on that Sunday, I spoke about, as we introduced the idea of Exodus, that Exodus actually means in the Greek a departure. And I challenged you as a church to think about what are you departing from in this moment as the series begins? What is it your, in terms of your brokenness or your sin or a relationship that you want changed or emotions or habits that you want to break? We all have a point of departure that we want to move out from. That's what Exodus is. And so as I challenged you on that very first Sunday to think about your point of departure, there was a little piece of mosaic tile under every single one of your chairs. And I told you at the end of the service, get that mosaic tile. That mosaic tile represents for you that thing that you're departing from. And as we were worshiping together, you came forward and you placed that little tile in the basket. And that was your prophetic act of saying, I want to change. I, I need to depart. There needs to be an exodus happening inside of me. And it was really a beautiful thing we did individually on that day. Well, what you don't know is that we took up all of those individual little pieces of tile that you had placed in the basket across our three services, and we did something really special with it. 
And we did something special with it because in the act of doing that, we were actually communicating what the whole story of Exodus has been about. And to help you to see that, I want to show you the very, very final film. And in this film, you will see what Exodus really means. We took every single piece uh, that you placed uh, in uh, the baskets on that Sunday. And a man in Amman, Jordan, uh, took every single one of our little bits. And as you saw in the film, he took them and he cut them and shaped them and formed them. And then he placed them individually, one by one, into this beautiful mosaic that he created And I think this speaks to us of what this whole 30 weeks has been about. Because this is exactly what God does with Israel. Because at the start of the story, there are scattered, broken people. And God, out of his compassion, gathers them up. And he speaks hope into them. And he says, I've seen your suffering and your slavery, and I have a good promise for you. And he picks them up, and he takes them to Sinai, and he begins to shape them and mold them into the people that he needs them to be. And he draws them together as a new family and a new community. And then he releases them into the promised land, filled with the hope of something new. And this is us. Lots of individual broken things that by the grace of God and by his spirit and his love, he's brought us together. And he is making here in Hong Kong something more powerful than we would ever be on our own. You matter. And your story of Exodus is actually part of a much bigger story of Exodus that God is doing amongst us. It's a beautiful, profound thing to think that God orchestrates all of this for his glory. But as Moses hands over his leadership to Joshua, 
recognizing that it is Joshua who will provide flourishing in the land of blessings. As we close this series, may I encourage you to continue to hand over the transition of leadership in your life to Jesus, your Joshua, the only one who could ever sustain and flourish you in the land of blessings. That, my friends, for the very final time, is what Exodus is all about. Can we, um, can we pray together? Let's pray together. Father, I'm just so grateful for the individual mosaic tiles of in people that you have here in this room and online. Incredible people that you love so deeply despite so often our frailties. And we thank you that you gather us up out of your compassion and grace and you shape and mold us into a new future. And Father, we thank you that you sent your son Jesus to be our ultimate Joshua and that you provide a promised land of the kingdom of God for us to walk into so that we may know the flowing milk and honey that you promised to your people, but we know it by the flowing of your spirit in us. Lord, would you help us to take up our place? Would you help us to be the very people that you've called us to be by your spirit in us? Would we take on the mantle of you leading our lives? And would we recognize the times and the moments where we try to lead ourselves? Would we understand that a transition of our soul is always needed to flourish in the land of God's blessings and purposes? And Father, I thank you that you've taken us individually on that journey, but you've taken us corporately and communally on that journey as well. And for that, we give you honor and glory and praise. Lord, as we come out of Exodus as a series, we now step into the promised land of our city of Hong Kong. And we do so with all the hope and with all the life and with all the joy that your spirit places inside of us. Jesus, would you lead us where only you can take us? And we pray this in Jesus' name. Everyone says, amen. Would you stand with me? And we're just gonna close our time with a final moment of worship together.